What are your writing dreams? Finishing that book, quitting the day job, becoming a best-selling author? Well, over four years, we've studied the advice of over 300 best-selling authors who've collectively sold over half a billion books. And we are excited to announce the Best Seller Academy. If you're ready to take your writing to the next level with accountability, craft, and coaching, your bestseller dreams are now only a click away. To find out more and apply, visit bestsellerexperiment.com forward slash academy. That's bestsellerexperiment.com forward slash academy. Let's run the show. Hello and welcome to the Bestseller Experiment, where we continue to discover what makes a bestseller and inspire you to start, finish and publish your book. I'm Mark Stay. And I'm Mark DeVoe. And before we dive into this lovely, lovely episode we've got for you today, folks, we would like to say thank you to all of our amazing patrons and Bestseller Academy members or academates mm. as they're known. If you would like to support this show, you can either pop along to bestsellerexperiment.com forward slash support to become a patron and get tons and tons and tons of extra deep dive material. We've got close to, I can't even remember, Mark. Hunt, hunt, if I say 100 hours of extra, it's getting close, isn't it? Oh, easily. Well, I mean, just this oh. week alone, just this week alone, you'll find an hour with, uh, over an hour with Ian W. Sainsbury, the award-winning best-selling author and friend of the podcast. He, I sat down with him and we went, we got forensic on his edit. He basically took a page of his new book, the Jimmy Blue books, the series, wonderful thrillers, absolutely brilliant thrillers. And we took a page from that and he took us through his whole edit process. So if you want to hear how best-selling award-winning author edits their book, Pop along and listen to that. It's absolutely, we, we really get forensic, proper that forensic. Is, that is worth its weight in gold, isn't it? Absolutely <laughs> yeah, brilliant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, if you want to do that, all you have to do is sign up to become a patron and uh, we'll even give your name a shout uh, on this show when you sign up. So thank you to everyone that does that. And as we say, we're very, very grateful and uh, we couldn't do this show without you. So Mr. Stay, I hear you're off to uh, the theatre Yes, the legitimate theatre. Well, listen, uh, folks, if you're listening to this on day one of this this podcast released, it's Monday the 30th. So on uh, Thursday the 2nd of June, which is just a few days' time, I'm going to be at the uh, Trinity Theatre in Tunbridge Wells with none other than Joanne Harris herself. Uh, she's doing uh, – it's part of their open page season at the Trinity Theatre, and she'll be talking about her new book and her career and answering your questions and signing books and all kinds of amazing stuff. So – uh, I'll put a link in the show notes so you can get tickets for that. And uh, if you're a podcast listener, say hello. Uh, hope to see you there. Fantastic stuff. Fantastic. And we have an incredible interview. It's slightly longer than oh, usual. Boy. So we're going mm. to dive straight in. And for fans of this podcast, you're going to be extremely, <laughs> extremely excited because <laughs> the last time we had this guest on the show, there was such an amazing reaction. So Mark, tell yeah. us about this week's amazing guest. We welcome the wonderful Angela Marsons back to the podcast. Angela is the international multi-million selling author of the D.I. Kim Stone series. She's also just she's one of the loveliest human beings on the planet. She previously came on the podcast on episode 182 when she'd sold a piffling three million copies of her book. Since <laughs> then, she's she sold one or two more. She's got a new book out, Six Graves, which is the 16th book in the D.I. Kim Stone series. Angela tells us about Six Graves 
lives and she answers a whole bunch of listener questions. We discuss things like writing unlikable characters, working with pen and paper, and we discover some great news about Julie. Uh, now, there's no video. On the, if you're watching this on YouTube, there's no video on this. Uh, Mr. D, you'll be amazed. I've found someone whose broadband is worse than mine. Um, so there's no video <laughs> is with possible? this. Uh, exactly. Um, so, yes, but so uh, bear, bear with us on that. But it's it's just wonderful hearing her voice. So uh, I had a great time speaking to Angela. You are going to love this interview. So let's listen in to Mark chatting with the loveliest of lovely human beings, Angela Marsons. <laughs> Angela Marsons, welcome to the bestseller experiment. Welcome back to the bestseller experiment. How are you today? I'm fine. I'm very happy to be back. It's a gorgeous day and I'm speaking to you. So yes, it's all good. It is. It is all good. Not least. Let's talk about a recent announcement from your wonderful publisher, Booker Chore, who now the last time we spoke to you, you'd sold, I think, three million copies. Uh, and in the in between us speaking to you and speaking to you now, you've now sold over five million copies of your Detective Kim Stone series. I think you're Booker Chore's biggest selling author. That must have been a, a day and a half when that was announced. It was, but I mean, it's costing my mum a fortune. <laughs> 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 um, no, I mean, it is, it, it's mad. Um, but you kind of think it's happening to somebody else because, you know, when we were asked in the very first place um, how many, you know, books uh, we hoped to sell, we said well, it would be nice if 500 yeah. people, you know, read, read some of the books. So how we've got from that to this... It, it truly boggles my mind because it's a number I can't even contemplate. If yeah. you know what I mean, once I've once I've run out of fingers and toes, I'm I'm lost. <laughs> um, so it, it, it's amazing. Uh, Bookature are fabulous, and I, I wouldn't want to be published with anybody else. But um, I'm just continually grateful that people this far on are still loving and enjoying the books. That was something I never sort of foresaw. Um, happening with a character, you know, I didn't even particularly like myself. Um, so it, it, it's hard to, you know, um, put put it into context because I've never seen or heard of five million of anything. Mm. So five million books sold, um, it, it, it's it's great. But as I say, I can't kind of contemplate it really. I'm just, I just, I'm very, very grateful to people who stuck with the series from the beginning because we've got lots of readers, you know, who followed Kim's journey from, you know, Silent Scream back in 2015 and also for new readers as well. But um, yeah, it, it, it's it's mad. It's, I just don't know how we got to this point, but I am, I am grateful on a daily basis um, that I get to do what I love and call it a job. We we spoke to we spoke to the crime author um, Tim Sullivan recently, and he said something very interesting. He said the character is more interesting than the crime, and you mentioned Di Kim Stone. You said she's a character that he, you know you didn't necessarily like her to start with, but people keep coming back for more. What is it about Kim? Do you think that keeps readers coming back? I think it's because she's quite real. Um, when she was in my head. Um, and I didn't let her out for years because she didn't sound very likable. And I thought, well, if I don't like her, then <laughs> nobody reading is going to like her, you know. So obviously I can't let her out. But when I did, I 
started to get to know this character better. And I understood that even though she was quite rude and obnoxious, um, she is passionate about, you know, defending the underdog and justice. And she she's what she lacks in social skills, she makes up for in integrity and passion and drive. And so I think she is real. Um, because she's not always likable, but even if readers don't like her, they kind of understand her. And so they still get behind her because, you know, her passion is in, in the right place. She's just, her delivery leave, leaves a lot to be desired. <laughs> um, so I think that people, you know, enjoy that. I also think that that a, a lot of people out there are interested in crime stories that don't have a romantic theme um going through them and that is a very very conscious decision on my part because personally I don't always want to read or watch television where you the, you're constantly thinking will they won't they yeah. I want the crime I want the story I want development of the characters but I don't necessarily want the romance if I want the romance I'll I'll read a romantic mm. you know novel um so I deliberately keep that away from uh, the, the main character but what I lose there I try to make up with humour mm. and you know I, I, that's why she's got such a, a dry sarcastic wit and the relationship between her you know and, and her like assistant uh, Bryant I made that clear from the very beginning that he was a happily married man there was no sexual tension whatsoever yeah. Um, but he was pretty much the only friend she got in the whole wide world. I mean, since then she's gained a dog, uh, but she's still not what you not got what you'd call any any real friends. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think people come back for you know the the fact that she is real, but also the other characters that all bring out a different aspect of her personality. Mm-hmm. Um, and you just never know what she's going to do next, because quite frankly, neither do I. <laughs> Well, let, let's talk about what she's doing next. What uh, Six Graves, which is the 16th book in the D.I. Kim Stone series. Tell us about that. What's she up to now? She's up to, um, she, uh, the crime involved there is um, she's called to, she's called from a team building course, which is a little bit of fun right at the beginning because <laughs> she's having to um, watch her team perform a task without her. And obviously that doesn't sit well with uh, Kim Stone and she can't keep her mouth shut. Um, <laughs> and she's, uh, then a police car arrives and she's zoomed back to the West Midlands under armed guard. And we find out that one of her biggest um, psychopaths, um, Nemesis, has escaped from prison and his only um, task is to kill her before he gives himself up. But, you know, it's his last thing. He doesn't care what happens to him. So he's quite dangerous, Um, which results in having to have um, a, a personal bodyguard, so to speak, which is somebody that she's met before and ha- absolutely hates, uh, which makes for some great um, comedy writing between them two, which is fantastic. But the the crime that she's uh, investigating while all of this is going on is what um, apparently looks like a murder-suicide of an entire family um, with the mother holding the gun. And that's what she has to explore. And obviously not everything else is 
as it seems, mm-hmm. and uh, that that's the crime. And then we've we've got the uh, secondary story of um, her being chased and hunted down by somebody that just wants to kill her. <laughs> Fantastic! It sounds absolutely brilliant. I think it is testament to the character of Kim Stone. Like I said, I I think likability is overrated. I think if you've got someone who is a bit of a firecracker who you don't, you know, you don't, like you say, you don't know what they're going to do next, but you know the, how they're going to act. So if you put them in a situation where they're on an away day, a team, team building exercise, you know, you know it's going to be fun. And that's why I think people keep coming back for more because these these books are just, you know, page-turning fun. So, yeah, fantastic. It sounds brilliant. Now, look, last time, since we've had you uh, last on, uh, Angela, we had three main responses from our listeners. Uh, they were, isn't she lovely? Um, we we <laughs> we all want someone like Julie in our lives. You spoke about how Julie supported you, and can we hear the swearing parrot now? Sadly, <laughs> the parrot I believe is no longer with us. Unfortunately, no. We lost him a couple of years ago. Um, we 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 don't know the cause, and it was very sudden. But oh. um, we 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 do miss him. We do miss him. We've got lots of video with him talking, <laughs> um, and audio with him just chattering away. But now we 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 lost him. Unfortunately, he was twenty. Um, but now we 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 do we do miss him. Whether or not we'll have another one, I don't know. But uh, he was he was a he was a real character. Yeah. Um, and yeah, we're very sad. And talking about. Julie, I mean, listeners, we'll put links in the show notes so you can listen to the previous uh, episode with with Angela and the role that. I mean, I don't know if you listened to subsequent episodes after after your interview, um, Angela, but we, for weeks we were talking about the Julie in our lives, the person in our lives who supports us, who says you can do this, who knows enough to step back and let you get on with it as well. You know, um, we've got some listener questions. The first is from Jackie Kirkham, which is, what's Julie's going rate? Because uh, we all want a Julie in our lives. Is is um, how has how has your you know sort of that that relationship with Julie evolved? It, is she still reading? You know, the first person to read your books is she? Is she still banging the drum for you? Oh, absolutely. Julie is involved in every part of the process. As regards to going right, she's incredibly reasonable. And I normally get away, I normally get away with a cup of tea and a piece of cake. So, you know, she really is incredibly reasonable. Um, and, you know, I'm, we'll sort out a schedule to rent her out uh, at the end. Of the um, she is involved in every part of the process. Um, we have been together for um, around 35 years. And so she has been, you know, a part of everything. She's been there for the entire struggle. Um, she was there for every rejection, um, every high, every low. She knows the characters and the books as well as I do. There's been times where I've written something and, and she, as she's been typing it because I handwrite um, right. with pencil and paper and Julie types that first draft for me. So as she's typing, she's kind of half reading and she will say to me sometimes, I don't think that character would do that. Right. And that causes me to go away and think, actually, it's not quite their personality to, to do that. So she's excellent at picking that kind of thing up. So she does know the characters just just as well as I do. But she's also involved. Just the other day, I was at a point and I, I, I was quite stuck. I knew what I wanted to do, but I just could not think 
mm-hmm. of a way of doing it. And I tortured myself over this for about three or four days. And I said to Julie, right, I need a meeting. So I made a cup of tea and 10 minutes later it was resolved because she just brought a completely fresh perspective to it that I hadn't seen. And so 10 minutes later I was back at my desk and that was three or four days wasted. So I'd just tortured myself (laughs) over this this plot line. And she gave me an answer straight away. Um, so she's she's heavily involved. Um, you know, we, we talk about ideas and, you know, plot lines and characters, who to bring back, who not to bring back. Um, and as I say, from a practical level, she types up that first draft for me so that by the time I finish the first draft, there's, she started typing and I can go straight into working on the second draft. Right. Um, <coughs> excuse me, of the type copy. And then she'll read it again um, as well before it goes off to Bookature. So, <coughs> excuse me, I'm dry. Um, so, yes, yeah, she's 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 involved in everything. But as I say, she is reasonable and we can come up with some dates. <laughs> <laughs> That's wonderful. I, if I were you, Angela, I'd keep Julie all to yourself. That sounds like an incredible working relationship there. Now, that thing you mentioned, starting with a notepad and pencil, and it's funny, since we last spoke, that's something I've I, – I, Go for. I usually go for a pen and a notepad now because there's something about that direct connection between the brain and the pen and the paper. Oh, yes. It's, yes. Yeah, yes. That works yes. for you, yeah. Oh, it absolutely does, Mark, and I couldn't have put it any better um, myself. I have tried for the sake of speed to work straight onto a computer screen and I just cannot do it. I can edit and work through what's already done on a computer much very very easily i love that part of it but the initial getting the thoughts onto paper and down has to be with a, a pencil and paper and it's a connection it's a pure connection from the brain to the hand to the paper mm-hmm. and it's some some days i can write more some days you know it, it's less depending it does make your hand tired after a while but I honestly can't do it any other way. And it's exactly what you've just said. It is a connection. Mm. And I don't feel that connection if I'm not actually writing the words down. Mm. Absolutely. Now, you mentioned speed. You're hardly a slacker, Angela. I mean, you know, you, you're, just, <laughs> um, how, how are you? How are you hitting those? Are you are you sort of setting yourself deadlines still? Are you, uh, you know, what's your sort of workout per day? What are your what are your habits? Um, handwriting, I like if I can to achieve um, two two and a half thousand words a day. A, a, a day where I'm not feeling it is probably a thousand. Mm-hmm. If I'm feeling it, it's three or more because I just can't stop. Although the day after I will suffer because my hand, yeah, you know, yeah. it, it does hurt after a while. But um, yeah, I'm still writing two books a year um, because, of course. With the pace and speed of being primarily digital, um, there's always something going on to do with the last book as well. Like Six Graves is out, you know, next month, but I've only just read the final copies of the PDF and the ebook. you know, the the final read-through of checking for formatting errors. So, you know, that went to my editor at the end of last year. Right. But I'm still working on it, you know, sort of like four months after that. 
while also writing the new book, which is due in at the end of June. So it's a six monthly process, mm. but you constantly kind of working on two books at the same time. Now, from now until the end of June is the only time I get to purely work on the, you know, the newest, the newest book. Up until then, it's doing bits on the old book, the structural edits, the line edits, the copy edits, the proof edits, then the final read through. So you start the new book and you, there are lots of interruptions. You have to put it aside yeah. to work on the last book. Um, yeah. But I do love the pace um, of digital publishing. Um, if, if I was traditionally published and I had a year or 18 months, I would do nothing for 12, 14 months and then try and cram it all in the last yeah. couple of months because I'm, I'm honest enough to know that that's the way I am. Um <laughs> But I do tend to work quite well under pressure. When I know something's got to be done, I just use every hour available and get in my room and just get it, just get it done. Yeah. Uh, so I love the pace and I love doing two books a year. I probably wouldn't want to do any more than that mm. um, because I want to continue to enjoy the process and, <clears throat> you know, come to the desk every day excited about what, I want to write or a particular scene that I've got in my head. Um, so I want to keep that love of the craft. And I think if I was doing any more than two books a year, um, I, I probably would lose that. And I never want to lose that. No, absolutely. And you're 16 books in now, uh, working on book 17, perhaps of ideas for book 18. How are you keeping track of the Kim Stone universe? You know, how are you, are you thinking, okay, well, did she arrest that guy before? Was she, did she break a, an ankle in that episode? What, what the, it, you know, I know authors who struggle to remember the colour of their protagonist's eyes sometimes. So have you got some system for keeping a track of all that stuff? No, absolutely <laughs> not. Um, I've got a really, really, really good copy editor. Right. And she's fantastic. She's been... Um, she's been with the books from the beginning and she, just as an example, in one of the recent books, I referred to Kim's 10 year old Volkswagen Golf and she put a note on saying, uh, it was 10 years old in the first book. I yes. think you might have to age this car a little <laughs> bit now. And she picks up, you know, um, what, what we call continuity errors um, yeah. and, and things like that. She's fabulous. But, um, now, I wish I was organised enough um, to have, you know, like all this information, but I'm not. And and I suppose things do slip through. Luckily, you know, I've got a great copy editor, as I say. Mm. Um, but there are so many characters that have, um, you know, featured in the books over the years. Um, it's hard to remember everything about them. So if there's something I can't particularly remember and don't know where to find it, then I'll probably stay away from mentioning it right. um, and find something else about the character right. to mention that I do remember, <laughs> um, if you know what I mean. So, yeah, yeah. But, yeah, so I, I'm, I'm pleased. Jan, Janet's fabulous and without her, well, like I said, the golf would still be 10 years old and we've been writing the books for seven years now. So. Yes, no, thank, thank the writing gods for copy editors. They all stop us looking like complete numpties, so it's, they're, they're, they're worth their weight in gold. Absolutely. I've got some listener questions for you, Angela, if we can go through those. Um, we've got one from Christopher Wills who said, last time you said writing gets harder, is it still getting harder for you to write? If so, how do you overcome this? I mean, it writing, it's... Um, 
even when you've got a successful series, it's not, you know, it's still a challenge each time, isn't it? Absolutely, because for in in every in every area, every book is a brand new journey. And regardless of how many books that you've got behind you or anything this the, the doubt the self-doubt never ever goes away um and I think it's important for anybody listening to know that but in a way it's a good thing because it does keep you on your toes mm-hmm. um but you know you, you start the book and you still have all the doubt can I make this into an interesting story? Can I keep the reader with the characters? Can I introduce enough humour to lift the darkness? Can I base it on an interesting subject matter? Because just because I find a subject, you know, particularly interesting, and that's what normally forms, you know, the the, the theme of the book, it doesn't mean to say everybody else is. So you're always filled with that self-doubt. Mm-hmm. Um I'm I'm filled with it, you know, it'll go off to uh, my editor, Claire, at Bookature, and hopefully she'll like it, we'll make changes. But you're always still concerned about how the reader is going to perceive it um, because you just never know. So every book is like book one um, because I've, I firmly believe that with a long-running series, readers will allow you a blip book and you're allowed one blip. And if they read a book that they didn't particularly enjoy, they'll probably allow you that blip Mm -hmm. and they'll come back for the next. But I think if you have too many blip books, you've lost them. Um, So I start every journey thinking, is this the blip book? You know, but I think thinking like that does keep you on your toes because you constantly want to provide the best experience for the reader time and time again. And, you know, so whether whether that, you know, you know, you just never know until it goes out there um, how it's going to be perceived. And that's why I think it gets harder when you're writing without an editor on your shoulder. You can do what you like. You can bring the aliens into Chapter 37 <laughs> if you want to, just from nowhere, you know, um, you can you can do what you like. Um, but when you know that there are readers waiting and an ed- editor waiting, that expectation, it's hard not to let that, you know, get in the way of just trying to do what you need to do and what you love to do. So it does get harder in some ways. And, and each book is a brand new journey. And having ones behind you, it doesn't make it any easier. Well, it doesn't for me anyway. No, it's, um, it's that thing of just not taking taking the, the book for granted or the fact that you're going to be published, the fact that there are going to be readers for granted. You've got to treat it like a new adventure each time. I think you're absolutely right. And it's uncanny what you said, because we had Erica James on uh, a few weeks ago who, you know, she's written 21, 22 books now. And she said very early on in her career, one of the sales reps of a, at a publisher said to her, you're allowed one turkey, they'll forgive you for one turkey, but not for any more. And that that's the thing that she remembers as well. So it's um, it sounds like really good, solid advice, I think. It does, but you, you just constantly think, is this the one, is this the one? And then when it goes out and, you know, hopefully you get a good reception, you think, okay, this isn't the blink book. I've still got a blink book. <laughs> you know, I, can, I can still afford a turkey. <laughs> so. we've, got, we've got a question from Kate Baker who says, what piece of advice did you wish you'd listened to but didn't? I think many, 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 many years ago, I did just a, a little short story um 
course at uh, a local community college and the instructor there said you know write about what you know and in some ways I spent many years not doing that because I wrote books based in sexy big cities um, like London and stuff like that thinking that was what agents and publishers wanted and I wrote about characters that I thought publishers and agents you know would warm to and like and I spent a lot of time writing what I thought other people would want to read and you know want to publish and I should have really I, I didn't touch the black country I didn't touch this character in my head and so when when I wrote Silent Scream, it was a bit of a rebellion book and it was now, okay, I'm going to let this character out and I'm going to base it in an area that I know. Yeah. And if I reach 40,000 words, you know, and come to a war, hit a war, then that's what, what happens. But at least I've given it a try. And nobody was more surprised than I was when I got to 90,000 words and thought, oh, my goodness, it's a book. Mm. Um, it's probably an awful book, but it's a book <laughs> and it's something to work on. And that was my first um, shot at a crime book because although I love to read crime, I'd never I'd never tried to write crime because I just thought, oh, my goodness, I can't do all that plotting. Mm. And I don't. Mm. I have a rough idea of where I'm going. Um, I have a rough, rough idea of a start rough idea of the end and 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 the soggy middle bit is completely unknown to me until I get there um but that's what I still love about writing is the organic process that as I write that inspires me so I'll be writing a scene which will spur on another scene and another character or another situation and that's the surprise for me um I can't plot a book I tried it once again I don't know if you agree, Mark. Sometimes we spend time doing the things that we think we should. Yes. And so I think, you know, if, you, if you're writing a crime book, it's like you've got to plan it. You've got to know what's going to happen. You've got to know where you're going to drop this clue or that clue or bring in this character. And you have to do what works for you. I don't, I don't plan. Um, I have a rough idea and that's what works for me because of the organic nature of letting letting things happen as it's happening. Um, otherwise, I'd be bored if I knew everything yeah. that was going to happen at the beginning of writing a book. I would be absolutely bored and I would feel like I was just writing for writing's sake. Mm-hmm. You know, I want to discover where the story goes like the reader mm-hmm. and that means sometimes I walk away from the desk absolutely buzzing because unexpected things have happened <laughs> and the story's gone in a completely, you know, different direction. But that's what makes, that's what keeps it fresh and makes it fun. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think that's the piece of advice I should have, I should have written about what I know that the area that you know that I know well and I, I didn't think anybody would want to read about the black country um but I think that the area that I've based Kim in is so reflective of her personality it's dark it's yeah. uh you know it, it, it's uh industrial she wouldn't work in the Cotswolds no you know, her personality <laughs> would not work in the Cotswolds that's quite a area for her so you know the darkness, the history of the black country works um, works really well for her character. Absolutely. So yeah, I think I wish I wish I'd have 
listen to that sooner. No, absolutely. Very, very good advice. We've got a question from Angela Nurse who says, has uh, Angela ever considered writing a standalone or a new series? Now, that you've, there are two books in your uh, uh, in your list, The Forgotten Woman and Dear Mother, which I think were standalones. And I did see, I think, a story in the bookseller about you selling a rom-com to book a chore. So you, you have occasionally written away from Kim Stone. I have. I have. COVID um, gave me the opportunity to explore something a bit different. Right. I just got this idea of, of three friends drunkenly casting a spell one night and just seeing where that went. <laughs> um, and that was called If Only. Um, I think sometimes I have ideas for other books, but the I've signed for another 12 um Kim books so they do keep me quite busy um so I'll never say never but at the moment there are no there are no more there are no plans to write any any standalones but like I say never say never because you never know what situation is going to come up like Covid we don't want you know any more of that obviously but um not no plans at the moment Kim is Kim is keeping me plenty busy enough (laughs) another 12 blimey that's um has anyone I remember Al Reynolds at Gollant signed a 10-book deal. I don't know if anyone's ever done 12 before. That's a, that's amazing. Was that quite intimidating or did you run into it with open arms thinking, great? Yeah, I mean, we started off, you know, started off with Booker Tour a four-book deal. And I think we may have talked about this before when Silent Screen did okay. Um, the publishers... Um, an agent who had been rejecting the books. Hello. Um, and I was getting emails and contact from different places then. But I didn't want to be published by anybody else mm. once I was with Bookature because loyalty is a huge thing for me. Yes. Yeah, right, and so. they gave, you know, me and Kim Snow an opportunity. And so I said, you know, right from the beginning that I would publish with Bookature for as long as they wanted to. And, you know, they'd have to get security to remove me from the premises when they'd had enough because um, I'm not going anywhere. Um, but so we signed for four and then another four and then eight. And then as we were coming to, you know, the end of that contract, um, my editor, Claire, said, well, you know, look, we're, we're coming towards book 16 now. Um, do you want to sign for more? I said, yes. And she said, well, I'll give you a couple of days to think about how many. <laughs> and so after a couple of days, we, we went back and we said, how about another eight? And she was like, um, well, I was kind of hoping it'd be double figures. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so I said, well, okay, let's do 12. And that's, uh, you know, let's keep it, you know, these multiples of four. Um, <laughs> yeah. and, and, and so that was what we did. So, yeah, we agreed to do another 12. And I have always said, to be fair, from right from the beginning, I did say that while people – want to keep reading about Kim and the team, I am more than happy um, to, you know, keep writing them because I can always think of difficult situations that I want to put her in, things, you know, I wanted to explore. Um, and so, you know, it, it's it's a challenge to keep it fresh, but that's the challenge. Yeah. Um, it would be boring if, if you know, I'd got 12 books laid out in front of me. I simply haven't. Yeah. Um, I know ideas I want to explore. I know themes that I want to research. And I know situations where they'll turn up is, is anybody's guess. But so we do go one book at a time. Um, 
And yes, yeah, so as I say, if people want to keep reading about her, I'll, I'll keep writing about her because she she's good fun to write, and yeah. as is the rest of the team. So I'm I'm not bored yet. So I hope the reader isn't either. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely not. Um, has there now we're sixteen books in, another dozen to come. Has it been any telly interest or film interest? And why, you know, surely, surely uh, with five million sold, you've got TV companies knocking the door down. We, we, now the, the interest comes and goes. They'll, you know, I'll get an email um, from, um, I've got an agent who represents just the film and TV yeah. um, rights. I'm not agented with the books. Um, and I'll get an email saying such and such is interested or, you know, we want to send this off to such and such. And, you know, it doesn't necessarily come to anything. I think one of the drawbacks with with uh, the King books is the lack of romance. Hmm. Um, I think, you know, a, a lot of the television um, dramas and, and TV uh, adaptations, you know, the the there is that romance. I mean, personally, I love Vera Prime, so I, I love the TV series mm. Vera. Um, so I don't know if that's a bit of a drawback. I, I don't know if the black country's just not sexy enough. Um, there is something going on at the moment that I can't it's okay because this is going to sound awful. I'm not actually too forced, if you know what I mean, right. because the dream for me was always to write books. Never, ever did I you know, consider anything to do with the television or anything like that. The dream was to write books and call it a job. Mm. And so for me, that is always and will always be the priority. If anything, you know, I know TV companies can get it right and they can also get it wrong. Mm. And I wouldn't want anything to happen that would impact on the books because that's the medium I love. And it's a medium I love to share the stories and the character. So it's never been a thing, a thing for me. You know, yeah, great if it happens, but it's not something I think about. What I think about is the next cover reveal, the next publication date, what are the reviewers going to think about the next book, what are the readers going to think? And that that is absolutely my priority. So it, it's it wouldn't be any loss to me if mm. nothing ever happened, as long as I can keep writing the books. That's what I want to do. <laughs> Fant- well, long may that continue to be the case. And I can tell you, Angela, your dream has inspired our listeners and continues to do so. It's a joy, as always, to speak to you. And uh, until next time, happy writing and hope to see you again soon. Thank you. Lovely to chat. All right, Mr. Stay, I have to sit down for a minute. I have to sit down for a minute. 12 book yeah. deal. <laughs> I I had to actually re when I was listening to the interview before obviously <laughs> we did this podcast, I had to actually stop the mm. recording mm-hmm. um and go back because I thought, no, I, I heard that wrong. 12 book deal. This <laughs> <laughs> yeah. is like I can't even get my head around that. I know. I mean, the, like I said, I think the biggest one I'd ever heard of before was, uh, I remember Al Reynolds, who's a science fiction author, did a 10-book deal at Gomez. in itself is absolutely bonkers. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. But uh, 12 books. I mean, you know, we love a bit of job security as an author. There's a bit of job security well, I there. What, two, I was trying to work it out. Two books a year, Angela said. So that's mm. that's basically the next six years of her, of her yeah. writing life, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. But it, it can also be kind of intimidating as well as, as she said every book is a brand new journey and every book you have those doubts and fears and you sit down and you think oh, can i do this again can i actually do this again you know uh and it's i think once you've done it a few times 
and Angela's written a few books. Let's you know, let's not mince words. She's and she she knows what she's doing. So you have that kind of confidence. You can say, "Self, yeah, I know. I've done this before. I know I'm going to get stuck. I know I'm going to go down blind alleys. I know there are things that aren't quite going to work, and I'm going to fix those." You know, you 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 gain that experience and confidence to tell yourself, uh, "Okay, you know, you've got this." But yeah, day one of a new book is always you're you know it's the foot of the mountain. You're thinking you're limbering up. Here we go again. You know, okay, can we do this? Um, and you know, you know, we've spoken to authors who've abandoned books. They've got forty, fifty thousand words into a book and thought, no, I'm going to, I'm going to, have to start again. I'm going to, have to you know read. And some people, we we've got an episode in a few weeks with um, a fantasy author who does this. It's become part of their process. They get so far into it and they, they go. Nope, can't do it. I'm going to start again. But it's how they discover what the book is about. Uh, so, yeah, it's uh, everyone has their own way. There's no one way of doing it. But, uh, yeah, 12 books. That's that's amazing. Nice. It's an incredible um, show of confidence from the publisher as well. And in some yeah. ways that must – I mean, it adds it adds a little bit of pressure, but it takes a lot of the pressure off, I think, as well, the, this ability to think. Cause I, and the other thing, I, th- I mean, Angela was alluding to this, is that, you, you know, talking about um, – Keep, I mean, it keeps her on her toes because she knows that she's got to keep on delivering. Yeah. But at the same yeah. time, um, it takes away a little bit of the edge of thinking, you know, will I, do I have to sort out a new deal? And I think people are doing one, two, or maybe three book deals. You having to kind of revisit them so often, but for the next six years, Angela's, you know, she can just focus on her writing, which must be a wonderful, a wonderful thing for an author to have. Yes, and all you have to do is just go and look at the reviews of Six Graves, which has been out a couple of weeks now. It's got thousands of reviews, and they love it. You know, readers love it. There's no sign of Angela kind of repeating herself or going over the same old ground or anything like that. You know, she's really delivering the goods. So uh, she's, you know, she's just astonishing. Yeah, just amazing. It's brilliant. The other thing that I found absolutely fascinating, and I, again, I haven't heard this on the podcast before was this idea of wanting to actually limit the amount of writing per year. I mean, limiting two books a year, that's still a huge amount of writing, but the fact that she's actually, Angela's actually limiting herself to say, and that the reasoning behind it was this idea of, I I don't want to do more because I don't want to lose the love of craft. I found that absolutely fascinating and something that I hadn't really, hadn't really thought of before in that, in that end. Cause we we're always talking about, you know, this, being prolific and writing as much as humanely possible, but uh, humanly possible. Even. <laughs> but yes. it's, it's fascinating, isn't it? That she's actually recognizes that there is, she has a kind of almost like a burnout point for her that she doesn't want to go beyond. Yeah. It's, um, it's, it's, it's that thing of recognizing when something stops being fun, when your passion turns into a slog and yeah, you're right. Burnout can really, you know, hit hard. And if the thing, you know, there'll be people listening to this who have families and jobs and they might be caring for people. And the one thing they want to do, their dream, is to sit down in first thing in the morning, write a novel and be a full-time novelist and do that thing. And, you know, it seems like a faraway dream. And then some people get to live the dream uh, and then it becomes all-encompassing and then it can give them burnout. You know, it's when the dream turns into a nightmare. And I think finding that balance, because it is a job, it is a profession, it is um, – and it's not just about the writing. It it will be about doing bits of publicity, talking to people on podcasts, you know, uh, travelling to festivals and, and doing all these other things that uh, you, you might not have um, – you might not have thought about before – 
you know, handing over a book to an agent or a publisher or whatever. So it's uh, it's it's finding a way to balance that stuff and still stay passionate about the thing that you love the most. So um, so yeah, it's uh, she, you know, and Angela obviously has this incredible support. I know Bookature. Wonderful. Every author I know who's on Bookature just, you know, waxes lyrical about them, says there's a family vibe to it. And also she has great support from her partner, Julie, as well. So, you know, there's she's absolutely, you know, in that Goldilocks zone where everything is just right. But I know, you know, some authors who get who if, if it makes them ill, you know, they have to step back. So I think she's very wise just to say, you know, I could race in here and do three or four or five of these a year. But she knows what she needs to do. And I think it's important for every reader, and uh, I mean, we read, we read, try and read as much as we can. But um, you know, ha- we want to read all the time because we know the benefits of that. But we know that we also need to be writing. And when every author, I think, has this sweet spot, and it's almost like they need to find what that sweet spot is. Uh, for some, it's just writing their first book and getting it done because that's taken them years and years and years to get to that point. For others that have found their their flow. You know, they might be writing one book a year, maybe two books a year. We know there's some authors that, you know, write 12 books a year, but it's about finding that flow. And once you find that flow, knowing almost when you've gone beyond that. And again, this is, these are great. I mean, what a wonderful problem to have, you know, as an mm. author to be able to say, oh yeah, I'm, I've, I've written enough books for the year, plural, you know, I've written enough. I'm just going to, you know, pull it back a little bit. Um, and you know, I think I think that's a world that most authors don't live in. I think most authors are struggling to 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 meet deadlines, struggling to finish their books. I spoke to an author the other day, and this is going to be in an, in a podcast in a few weeks. Um, who has been writing a book a year and has said to me, said, "I now want to book it, do a book every two years, but what they really want to concentrate on are short stories because mm-hmm. they that's where they get their inspiration from. They write these short stories and." Every now and then, one of them, I think, that's the novel. So they're using the short stories as a kind of uh, testing, uh, you know, beta test, you know, novel yeah. ideas, uh, which I think is really interesting. But they, if they're, if they're being pressured into doing a novel a year, they're not being able to do that. So saying, no, I, I, I just want to take some time to do a bunch of short stories. Uh, mm. Which is, and of course, short stories. There's nowhere to hide. You know, you've got that five thousand words or whatever, or eight thousand words or whatever. You know, you've really, it's you've really got to hone your craft. Mm. So uh, it's it's interesting. You've got the other extreme as well, where the people are kind of dialing back. But again, your mileage will vary. You know, depending on what kind of person you are, what your personal situation is. You know, work and family and all those other things that that life throws at us. Well, don't throw the family at us, but you know what I mean. <laughs> 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 yeah, it is fascinating. And actually, at the other extreme where we've talked to very prolific authors, I mean, we're talking about authors that that put out in excess of, you know, six plus books a year, which is insane. Um, and I don't know if it's a trend, but I think there is a risk of it becoming a hamster wheel where you, you're once, once an expectation is set for your readers, you know, if, you, if you're putting out even three, four books a year, if you start to slow that down, your readers have then got a reason to say, oh, where's our book? And Because people yeah. start to get attuned to your publishing cycle. It's almost like we train our readers what to expect from us. And so I think it's a very important challenge for people that once they, they're really pushing it and they're really going, you know, how do they manage that expectation if they're going to dial it back, if they're going to take a break? I know readers would obviously forgive me if they say we're going to only rate 
you know, write six books this year instead of 12 or something. But that's a problem. I mean, the success, mm. the success can become an issue. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. Um, and we do, there, there will be reader expectations. And I think that, you know, I, I was, um, uh, Sam Missingham, friend of the podcast, she she went to the British Book Awards a couple of days ago with LJ Ross, and um, LJ Ross again, you know, fantastically successful, and she was saying part of the secret of uh, Louise's LJ Ross's success is she's fantastic with her readers. She listens to what they want, um, but she, I think LJ Ross is someone who probably could do three, four, five books a year, but maybe chooses not to because of that that danger of you know the reader expectation and yeah. i think there is some um, a temptation to come out the traps running and then just throw a whole lot of stuff out there uh, but to keep that up must be i mean there are authors who can do it there are yeah. definitely authors who can do it but um yeah it's uh could be as you say you know the, you can't keep that pace up forever well, also engaging with readers over a year—that's the equivalent of probably writing a book if you're yeah. doing it on a really yeah, if you've got on a, big a really big base, level. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it, that just keeping up. Another interesting thing that I thought Angela talked about was this idea of treat every book like it's book one. Mm. And there's, I think, a bit of a secret source to that, isn't there? Really, I think that's partly probably why she's so successful is that she's never been complacent about her success and assumes that she'll just knock it out of the park every time she puts pen to paper. Yeah. I think if you ever sit down and go, oh, here we go again, then it might be time to take a wee break, you know, or yes. try something different <laughs> or write something a bit different. And as, as she said, you know, every book is a brand new journey. And yeah. the thing with the, a series like the, uh, the, the Kim Stone books is, she, as she said, there are themes I want to tackle. There are, and it's similar with me with the Woodville books. It's a precinct and a group of characters where I can do pretty much anything. I can take, you know, if I see something in the news or there's an idea that I read about or there's some, you know, my, the, the fourth book that I'm working on is about secrets and whether it's best to confront the past or keep, hide those secrets away. And I read about that in something to do with nothing to do with, you know, the setting or, or the, the genre that I write in. But I saw this and I thought, I can do that with Woodville. I can actually mm. sit down and do I can do that and I can put the I can challenge these characters with this idea and it's going to be totally unlike any of the books I've done before. And so it's a bit scary. You're thinking, oh, can I actually pull this off? And that's a good sign. If you're if you're going, hmm, can I actually do this? I, it would be so easy just to repeat what I'd done before and have a different monster of the week kind of thing. Um, but actually I'm thinking, oh yeah, this is a bit scary. I actually don't know if I can do this. <laughs> Here we go. And that's grist to the mill. That's the thing that gets gets me excited. So um and I think An Angela is the same with her books, you know, she she'll she'll do a different challenge each time and I think that that's the that might be the secret to a, a successful series actually. You know, you've got the same characters, the same precinct, same area, uh but you come at it with different themes and different ideas and different challenges and that's what keeps it fresh. And we've also heard on the podcast a lot this idea of write what you know, but it was really amazing to hear Angela's example of that where she she didn't listen to it initially. And it's really great to have that perspective, isn't it, where she's looking back over a very, very successful career, which is still obviously, you know, continuing, but being able to have that distance from those early days 
and so yeah that i recognize now that i should have followed that earlier um yeah it's a very it's a very common thing with with writers when they're starting out because they're they're one they might not have found their voice and you know it can, can take time to find your voice but also you're trying to second guess what people want and you're kind of well what's selling in the market what's you know what's the best sellers oh okay i need to write like richard osman or i need to write like angela marsons or i need to and no 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 what what you know readers are looking for agents are looking for what publishers are looking for is your voice because no one has a voice like yours absolutely no one has a voice like yours you need to find that voice and be unique and the things that are weird and strange and unusual about you are what's going to make you stand out from the rest of the crowd so that's the thing you need to develop and and angela i mean if you go back and listen to that previous episode and there's a link in the show notes to that she was um when she did find her voice and when she did be true to herself and write about stories set where she lives in in the black country in the west midlands um she got turned down by a lot of publishers because they were kind of well who's going to want to you know can we sell books set in dudley to you know america uh and they thought they couldn't and then bookature took a gamble and Boy, oh boy, can they, you know, because it's it's about Angela's voice. It's, you know, that's what's that's what's unique. That's what's unique about her. So it's um so yeah, develop that voice. Don't worry about trying to be like someone else. Just be your best self. Yeah. And it's also God, I'm really starting good. to sound like you. <laughs> <laughs> We're just gonna morph into one more. <laughs> I love it. But it but actually it's a really good reminder to all our listeners out there who are sitting there thinking you know, flicking through their rejection letters, um, wondering mm-hmm. if this crazy idea that they're working on is ever going to fly. But it's a really, really, really good reminder that regardless of what happens and, and if you get rejected, it doesn't mean that it's it's something that won't sell. It doesn't mean that it's not a good idea. It doesn't mean that people won't be interested in the location you're writing about. The fact is, if you if you know it and you're passionate about it and and you can write it in a, in, a, in a wonderful way around it, people will buy your book. And so I love the fact that Angela reminded us that, you know, like you say, that traditional publishers weren't interested in that setting. That doesn't mean that it won't be successful. So for everyone out there who's, who's thinking, oh, it's never going to happen for me, remember that these are just opinions that people have got. Even in, you know, with all greatest respect to the big publishing company, obviously they're the experts in this and they probably have the best, they probably have the best finger on the pulse than all of us. But people can still be proven wrong. And so I think it's always important just to keep pushing through. And and if you believe in your project, just keep writing it. Yes. The screenwriter, William Goldman said, nobody knows anything. And (laughs) nobody could have predicted that, you know, this lovely woman from the Midlands would be selling over 5 million books in just a few years. Uh, But um, I mean, the thing is, it's, there will be people out there who've been published and still thinking, well, my book isn't selling three, five million copies. Why Why is that? And it is, you know, I won't pretend, you know, just getting published is, is the surefire road to success. But, you know, Angela did books before the DI, uh, Kim Stone books. And, you know, I, I, I know all sorts of authors who have been published and it didn't quite work out, mm. but they kept going. And, you know, you've really, really got to want this. It is some... Um, it's not easy, but if you can develop that voice, if you keep at it uh, for long enough, 
and it might take years. And we've got people coming up on the podcast in weeks from now, uh, you know, who I've already interviewed. That's their story, but they kept at it. Yeah. Uh, and it, it might, you know, we talked about burnout. We talked about blind alleys. We talked about things not working out the way you wanted. But, you know, you've you've got to keep at it. It's a, it's a long old road. It is. And, and, it's, and it's also worth remembering. And I want everyone to remember this is that it's about the journey as well. It's not just about... Yeah, where you get to and what comes your way, regardless of what happens, the experience of writing a book is an incredibly powerful experience. It's something that you'll take, you will take to your grave. It's one of the biggest things that you'll look back on in your life and say, I wrote this book or I wrote these 10 books or whatever it might be for you. No one can take that away from you. And there's a lot of pursuits as humans that we can, we can do where there is nothing actually physically to show from our efforts. You know, I'm thinking, for example, as a Liverpool fan, we spent the whole season playing 38 <laughs> games and in the last 20 minutes of the season, we've got nothing. I mean, I say this kind of half jokingly, but from the Premier League perspective, we have, we, we lost out by 20 minutes to go. And, and you could see the look on these on the face of the players. They're like, we, we worked so hard for this and we missed out. And they will never be remembered as the team that came second in the Premier League in 2022. Excuse all the people that are out there going, oh my God, he's talking football <laughs> or soccer. But it's a good example. Whereas if you get to the end of the season writing your book, you've got your book and no one's going to take, no, sorry, you know, it was almost good enough. I'm just going to, we're going to burn it. You've always got that book. So the thing is that that's what you get personally from going on this journey as an author. And, and then everything else, in some ways, we should be seeing everything else as like the icing on the cake. Yeah. I think if we looked yeah. at it that way round, you know, if we become a best-selling author, that's that's incredible. But the, mm. the growth that you get by actually completing the challenge of writing a book is something that will change your life forever, regardless of whether it ever gets publishes, published, whether it becomes a bestseller. Yeah, yeah. And I've, I'm guilty of that. You know, I've written books that haven't sold very well, you know, and you sit there thinking, oh, what's the point? But then people go to me, you've written a book! <laughs> yeah, exactly <laughs> you, know, you idiot yeah. you've written a yeah. book millions of people want to do this and never get around to it yeah. so I'm like oh oh yeah so you know it's that thing of just checking checking in with yourself and going oh yeah I did I did do something that a lot of people want to do and maybe never get around to it you know yeah and, or, uh, or never never work out how to do it or never keep mm. pushing to get it done I mean there's all those other reasons and you become part of a, a very very even though it feels like a big club, it's a very, very exclusive club in the world. You know, when you mm. look at, you know, how many billions of people on the planet, how many people actually write a book, feels like you're one of millions, maybe you are, but it's still a tiny percentage of all the people that ever do and achieve that in their in their lifetime. So, so keep going, everyone. Don't yeah. give up. Don't give up. And who knows, you know, that's the thing. The beauty is getting to the finish line. That's when all the fun, you know, all the icing can begin because yeah. you have to get to the finish line in order for it to happen. So yeah, there's always that potential bonus at the other end as well. So great. Absolutely. Well, absolutely brilliant. Angela, thank you so much for coming on the show. And um, if you want to find out more about Angela, her website is Angela Marsons hyphen books, plural.com. Angela Marsons hyphen books.com. And Mr. Stay, uh, social media ravaging, uh, talking about books and bookshops, 
We've got all more sorts, suggestions, haven't we? More recommendations this week. All sorts of good stuff, yeah. Uh, Nat, you remember a couple of weeks ago, Inkborn Blade got in touch on Twitter, at In- Inkborn Blade, and said, does getting married this Saturday count as a reasonable excuse to break my 200 words a day streak? You remember that? Yeah, I do. Yes. Well, uh, Steve Gowland replied and, and said, uh, Mr. D might say, why are you waiting for the other half to arrive and why not do a few words? And that's exactly what we said on the podcast. You know, Well, Inkborn Blade said, Pretty much ended up doing this. Found my <laughs> found myself pacing around the Airbnb at nine a.m. with three hours to go. So I found oh. the corner, did my two hundred words. Good yes. <laughs> I, uh, okay, if we had special awards to hand out, that that deserves a special award. Absolutely brilliant. Well, then there you go. So maybe two hundred words. It's not just about getting your words done. It's about sometimes filling that time when you are otherwise be you know ripping your your nails to shreds and thinking about all the things you think <laughs> yeah. about just before you you get married so fantastic love yeah. it Absolutely. congratulations yes yes um ms clements who is at ms clements book on twitter did my 200 words and some but came to the conclusion they were wrong and that's not a bad thing. I can go into the next 200 having scrubbed that idea out of my head and leaving it a bit clearer, like having a tidy update. I feel energised in a tidy room. So that, you know, we were saying not all words are created equally. You know, you're going to have days when stuff just does not work. Um, you know, Angela talked about the the soggy middle. Uh, and, you know, I have days when I come into this room, I haven't got a clue what I'm going to write, you know, but I, I sit there sort of, you know, free writing and just writing any old twaddle. And then after about 20 minutes, it's like, ah, this is it. I know what I'm going to do. Or you write words and you just get words down and they're a bit crap, but you think tomorrow I can come down and tidy them up. That's exactly what MS Clements is talking about. I love, love, love the spirit of this because I think everyone thinks about, and we do, I mean, obviously probably partly, partly our fault, 200 words a day, you write a book (laughs) in a year, but, but the 200 words in a day do not have to be 200 words that appear in the book. Because as we know, when you do the 200 word challenge, you do end up averaging on average, across all of the thousands of people that are doing this, you average around 620 words a day on average, which is what we're seeing. So you've got quite a lot of disposable 200 words there. And actually use the 200 word challenge to write bad stuff and just get rid of it, write your warm up, you know, for your, for your next 400, whatever it might be. So absolutely brilliant. Love, love, love that. Um, now, we remember last week having a conversation about merch and merchandise. We haven't exactly been deluged with people <laughs> crying out for it, but Claire Hanscom. Yeah, early days. Claire Hanscom, who is at Bookish Claire. Claire is also the author of a wonderful novel called Unscripted and a book on the West Wing called Walk With Us. If you're a fan on the West Wing, check that out. Claire Hanscom got in touch. She said, yes, please to merch. And it doesn't have to be hard. Patreon can add it automatically, at least in the US. I didn't know that, did you? I didn't know um, that. And she said it's super easy via other platforms like Zazzle. So, so that's Zazzle. We'll have to look into that, Mr. Oh, Taylor. I know we'll Zazzle, bizarrely enough. Do you? Okay. I do, yeah. Okay. I've used it to send people birthday cards in different countries. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Right. Uh, right. We'll, we'll have to have a look. Excellent. Thank, Thank you, you Claire. That. Yeah. Yeah. And Susie Edge, uh, you remember we were talking about TikTok? Mm. And I, you know, I, I was quite disparaging about it. Susie Edge in the BXP group uh, on Facebook, she said, I was listening to the latest episode with the talk of TikTok and BookTok. It made me smile. I've been super lucky with the success I've had on there with a bit of work. I was on quite early when the kids were still dancing in bikinis. Don't panic. I've never danced nor worn a bikini on TikTok. I'm 43. Maybe that's where I was going wrong, Mr. D. I, I should have so, danced Mark. in yeah. a bikini. Yeah, yeah, yeah you missed out but, on that but, one. 
But Susie has 240,000 followers and a community who ask me daily when my book is coming out. September seems an age away. Also, it's crazy, I know, but I had over 50 million video views. Followers and views don't always predict book sales. It's true. But it's always absolutely been worth the effort and getting over the fears. So I'd love to pay it forward and be of help if anyone in the group is thinking about it and don't know where to start. Ask me anything. So actually, in the BXP group, people are asking Susie questions about uh, TikTok. I think we might have to get Susie on a deep dive or something to to sort of, you know, Hey, dig a bit deeper on hey that. folks, pay, become a patron, get into the BXP team, then yeah, ask yeah, Susie questions about TikTok. That's am- Isn't that amazing? 240,000 followers, yeah, 50 million super. views. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yes, brilliant, Susie, brilliant, I think brilliant. you might have a deep dive coming up fairly soon. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and Jan Carr, uh, again, longtime supporter of the uh, bestseller group uh, on Patreon. And uh, she's she's doing a, a real life and Zoom celebration for her second Wonder Girls book on the 10th of June. It's 6.30 to 8pm on the 10th of June. It's a story inspired by Southampton welcoming 4,000 Basque children refugees in 1937. It's the book she did a Kickstarter for. Uh, and it's going to have live music, special guests, craft, cake, obviously, a quiz and books. So she's going to give her book, The Wonder Girls Resist, a proper send-off. So it's uh, in Zoom, but it's also a a bookshop in Southampton, October Books. She says uh, the staff have tattoos and everything. It's a hipster bookshop. Uh, So (laughs) it sounds great. So uh, so yes, it's uh, 10th of June. It's going to be in person and on Zoom. I'll put links in the show notes so you can check that out. Uh, Jan has the most wonderful covers on her books as well. So do, and she's a lovely lovely wonderful person so do check that out i yeah and jan like from the academy as well she's had such yeah. such a huge influence on the group there and, and very very inspiring but i want to also say what a brilliant idea jan you know we celebrate birthdays we celebrate when a child is born you know and that's that's only what nine months of labor <laughs> says, says, says the man <laughs> says the man i am obviously joking i am obviously joking but but talk about labour of love. Why everyone should have a birthday party. We had a birthday party when we launched when we, we launched did. Back to Reality. I think I think it should be one of those one of those essential parts of everyone's checklist. Because you know what? You've got if, if you don't take a moment to celebrate a launch and the birth of a book, then you're missing out on such an incredible opportunity. And it's and it's a great opportunity just to kind of to to Get that milestone and invite your friends and family. All those people have had to suffer along with you <laughs> talking about <laughs> plots down the pub and look lying awake at night scribbling. Like all those people, like get, you know, invite them and, and have fun with it. It's a brilliant jam. That's really good. And I hope you have an absolutely brilliant time and, and all the best for that book launch as well. Do you want to hear some more of our listeners' favourite bookshops? I do. I can't wait. I love this. Go on. Wonderful. We've got some great stuff here. So we've got uh, Andrea van der Bruggen says, Pals in Portland, Oregon, USA. It's family-owned, but absolutely huge and a wonderful place just to get lost browsing. They sell both new and used, and one of my favourite things is to find very old copies of classics. I mean, that's part of the joy of a bookshop, isn't it? Just getting lost. Just wandering oh. the shelves and getting absolutely lost. So yeah, uh, discovering there's a staircase in some of them, you're like, oh my gosh, yeah, there's exactly. another level. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
So oh. yeah, uh, thanks for that, Andrea. Uh, and also, we've got Krista Duran said the bookish type is a delightful independent queer bookshop in Leeds, and it's well curated selection, and they also do events. So we'll put a link in the show notes to that as well Fantastic. if you want to check that out in Leeds. And uh, Rosie Guest says Gulliver's in Wimborne, independent. Excellent stock, staff, and service, not to mention a brilliant literary festival. Now, Gulliver's sounds absolutely brilliant. Rosie used to run a bookshop in Ferndown when I was a rep, and I used to visit Rosie, and it was, again, a wonderful, wonderful independent uh, bookshop as well. So thanks for that, Rosie. And that was one of my favourite destinations because not only was it a wonderful bookshop, but you also got a warm welcome and a cup of tea and sometimes a bit of cake as well. So lovely oh to hear gosh. from you, Rosie, as well. So keep <laughs> them coming, folks. Love keep it. them coming. We want to hear about your favourite bookshops. Brilliant stuff. Brilliant stuff. Well, thank you so much, everyone, for listening to us this week. Thank you to Angela for yet another amazing interview. Um, and... Uh, Thank you to everyone out there who's supporting this podcast. And if you would like to be, we talked about the Chandler Word Challenge. We always do because it's absolutely mm. brilliant. But if you would like to be a part of that, it's a free challenge. It's 200wordchallenge.com. Uh, 200 you go along, you just literally pop your email in, sign up and start banking your words. You, you basically go to the website each day and you just literally fill out a very quick form to submit your words. Uh, we are getting into the 20 millions mr stay i had a look at it the other day <laughs> it's getting bonkers and that's the number of words that people have banked that's just that's outside of the academy the academy there's millions of extra words that are happening in there already it, actually it's quite insane how much is being written so come along and join us and uh, then and then share your story with us and most importantly share your book with us if you've written a book using the 200 word challenge yes. we want to hear about you so pop along to the website. We you can go to the contact page. And whilst you're there, sign up to the mailing list as well. Each week we send you out the latest episode, what you can learn, plus all kinds of wonderful things that you get through the mailing list. So pop, pop your email address in there and you will get the vault, the bestseller experiment, Vault of Gold, which is our first year's transcripts of all these incredible interviews um, that were done during that crazy, crazy period, Mark. And on socials, where can people find us? People can find us on Facebook, Bestseller Experiment, and Twitter and Instagram at Bestseller XP. And uh, if you want to drop us a line, uh, message us on any of those platforms, but also go to bestsellerexperiment.com. There's a contact tab there. And if you've enjoyed, if you've been inspired by Angela or any of the many hundreds now of, of authors that we've spoken to uh, on the podcast, please give us a rating on your podcast. Catch it. It makes all the difference. It makes us more visible and will hopefully inspire other writers like you to finish their books and get their voices out there brilliant and um, we're going to be starting a new a new thing called pass the pod if you get an opportunity to tell a writer friend about the podcast pass the pod on to them and, uh, and don't forget folks oh he says reaching over oh, we have yeah, a, we book a book out we have a book called yeah, back to reality if you've not read this book and you want to find out what happened the, the results of the insane journey that we had in our first year pop along to any good bookshop including mainly amazon i guess no we're all over the place amazon book depository uh you can get us on all of the uh ebooks back to reality go and have a read of that and if you get a chance to read audio that, as well there's a audio. fantastic Actually, audio version yeah. yeah audio as well on audible yeah. and and, uh, and the like so please please um review that book if you get a chance to read it as well brilliant stuff i can't wait to hear we are rammed aren't we for for interviews this is gonna like literally the next <laughs> six months is just yeah. rock solid we won't we won't spoil any surprises folks but we do have some incredible fantastic yeah coming up so uh keep tuning in and don't forget to subscribe mr stay have a fantastic week sir you too sir 
Excellent. So it's a goodbye from Mark 1. And a goodbye from Mark 2. Goodbye. Bye. Bye. Bye.